Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. So we open together to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We find John, now an old man, writing this book that's going to bear his name, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the life of John's brother James was taken some 50 years before John was inspired by the Spirit of God to write this letter. He's lived long enough to know of the martyrdom of Peter, who would die on a cross. He's lived long enough to know of the martyrdom of Paul, who would be beheaded. And John realizes that his own time is coming to an end. He'd never written a book before, but in the end of his days, the Spirit of God would inspire him to write this gospel that bears his name, the Gospel of John, as well as three letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then his magnus opus, inspired of God to write for us the book of the Revelation. John's vocabulary is quite small. In fact, those who study Greek love John. You don't have to learn a whole lot of vocabulary words to read the Gospel of John. He writes with 600 words. And those who study such things tell us that the average child takes on about 100 words a year, which means that the Apostle John is writing with the vocabulary of a seven-year-old. But with that vocabulary of a seven-year-old, he is able to share some profound truths And these truths are presented to us in a very planned fashion. The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John proclaim the Lord's deity. Then in John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, we're introduced to the Lord's disciples. And then beginning in John chapter 18 to the end of the book, the Lord's death is presented to us. We're opening our Bibles this morning to John chapter 1, and we discover that with simple words... John is presenting magnificent thoughts. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John form the prologue to the book. Powerful themes are woven together in these 18 verses that will be developed throughout this book. And our focus this morning will be on the last 10 verses of John's prologue. We begin our reading in verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth." John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, he hath exegeted him unto us." Here we discover the deity of Christ as it's rejected. 
as it's received and as it's revealed. And may God help us to look in this passage to the benefit of our souls. Let's pray together, please, as we open God's Word. Father, now today, I pray that you'd allow your Word to shine out from us, for it is the light for our path, the joy of our lives. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. Dear Spirit of God, thank you for coming to fill the believer, to baptize us into one body, to illumine our hearts by your word. And dear Spirit of God, I pray today that you'd open the eyes of understanding of someone who's here, that they might come to know Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior. And Lord, I pray for all who are in this place today who hear this message, that they would proclaim the most glorious message the world has ever known, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, died for sinners on the cross of Calvary, rose from the dead, declaring himself to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Use your word today, and we'll thank you for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was walking through the A&P store. That dates me. In Bell Fountain, Ohio, back on the 22nd of November in 1963 with my mother when I heard that our president, President John F. Kennedy, had been assassinated in Dallas. I was listening to a transistor radio that I carried on the public school bus that I drove in St. Paul, Minnesota on the 30th of March back in 1981 when I heard that our president, Ronald Reagan, had been assassinated. I was in my home office in Concord, New Hampshire back on the 11th of September in 2001 when I heard that a plane had struck the World Trade Center. Experience tells me that there are some announcements that are so gripping that they simply will never be forgotten. There are some events so notable that they're incomparable. And our mind flashes with memories when we come to understand the magnitude of such events. As we open our Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1, it's as if the Spirit of God is saying, Hear ye! Hear ye! When Jesus was born, God wore a human body. It's an announcement that will cause us to marvel throughout the ages. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John declare the deity of Jesus. I'd like to invite you to read the 14th verse with me aloud together this morning. John chapter 1, verse 14. Are you ready? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Undoubtedly, the deity of Jesus is declared. And as we look carefully at verses 9 to 18, we discover that Jesus' deity was rejected. The 11th verse says, He came unto His own and his own received him not. We discover that Jesus' deity was received in verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We believe that this passage shows us that Jesus' deity 
was revealed. Verse 14, we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Back in 1983, Gallup published an interesting poll. At that time, 81% of the people living in America, 81% of the people living in America claimed to be Christians. So they went down further in their polling, and Gallup found that 70% of those living in America said that they believed that Jesus was not just another man. And that 42% believed that Jesus was God among men. Now, wait a minute, wait, t- time out. Did you hear me say 81% of the people in America said that they were Christians? And yet the poll revealed that 70% said that Jesus was not just another man, man and 42% believed that Jesus was God among men. Did I mention that 81% said that they believed they were Christians? Friend, Christians believe in the deity of Jesus. They believe that Jesus is God who wore the uniform of our human flesh. But as we open our Bibles to John chapter 1, we discover in verse 10 that the rejection of the deity of Jesus is common. The rejection of the deity of Jesus has been occurring from the time that He put His feet on this planet for the first time. Again, we read in verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. The rejection of His deity has been happening for two millennia. Now, this is the first time that John speaks of Jesus as coming into the world. John's going to use that phrase seven more times in this gospel, that Jesus came into this world. Why? Because John wants us to know that deity descended. More than that, John wants us to know that deity condescended to live in human form, to walk among us, to walk on the dusty roads all the way to the cross of Calvary where he gave his life for our sins. He wants us to understand that the eternal one was, who was in the beginning, this one who was in the beginning did not just hover over the planet, did not just make a spiritual visit to the planet. No, he wants us to understand that deity actually graced the planet with his presence in the form of humanity. And so John twice makes us aware that this deity that we're speaking of is actually the Creator God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with with God. All things were made by Him, he says in verse 3. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And yet he's going to say the world was made by Him in verse 10. And He came into this world that was made by Him, and the world did not know Him. In fact, the world rejected Him. The Spirit of God wants us to grapple with this thought that the Creator who made us came and walked among us and was rejected by us. And the Spirit of God wants us to understand that the rejection of Jesus' deity was systemic. Verse 11. Three times, verse 11 uses the word world. He was in the world... The world was made by Him. The world knew Him not. 
John is speaking here of the system. He's speaking of the culture. God is going to use, or John rather, is going to use the word world three different ways in the Gospel of John. Sometimes he's speaking of the system, the culture, the philosophies that make up the world in which we live. Sometimes he's going to speak of the planet, the globe, the world, and even the galaxies round about the world. Sometimes he's going to speak about humanity, the people who live in the world and bear the image of God. For God so loved the world. Now there he's talking about you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There he's using the world to speak of the people who inhabit the world, but here he's using the word world to speak of the systems of the world. There are philosophies, there are cultures. John is speaking then in verse 11 of a systemic rejection of the Creator God, Jesus who is deity, who came into this world that he made, and the world did not recognize him. In fact, the world rejected him. Deity stepped into the world and was rejected by the very world that he made. The culture of corruption was so dark as to not recognize the one who hung the sun in the sky. He came into the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But this rejection was not just systemic, this rejection was specific. Verse 12, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. As I pointed out, John only uses about 600 words, but boy, he knows how to use those 600 words. Here he actually uses a word play in verse 12. The word own, O-W-N, is twice used in verse 12. The first usage of the word own, he came unto his own, is neuter in the original language. The second usage of the word own, now that usage is masculine in the original language. And so we have a word play. Here's how we understand it. He came unto his own things. He was not an alien. He was not an interloper. He came into this world that he created, no, more than created, that he owns. For he yet, Hebrews says, upholds all things by the word of his power. Haggai, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. The psalmist says that the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns it all. He came unto his own things, but then it says, and his own received him not. Now he's speaking about his own people. Now, who would those people be? Well, in a sense, we're all created in the image of God, but in a more specific sense, Psalm 78 and verse 71 says, Israel is God's own inheritance. And the prophets had foretold the coming of the Messiah, the coming of this great one. In fact, 400 years before Jesus was born, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we read, And thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall come forth one whose goings forth, listen to it, are of old, even of everlasting. Out of Bethlehem will come one whose origins are eternal. And not to use the word origins, whose being is eternal. And so the prophets had foretold that Jesus would come, and yet he came unto his own, his own things, unto his own people, and his own received him not. How then would God respond 
to this rejection. The one who created all, who breathed within the nostrils of mankind the breath of life and allowed us to become living souls, living in his image, knowing in our hearts that we had lived somewhere forever, foretelling that the one who is eternal would come and walk among us, and yet rejected? Rejected. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells how God responds. He tells a story in Matthew chapter 21 about a householder planting a vineyard, putting the vines in and making sure that everything was right, building the tower, building the wine press, leaving the vineyard alone, knowing that the time of the harvest of the grapes would come. And when the time of the harvest of grapes came, this vineyard owner who had let the vineyard out to someone else's care sent his servants to enjoy the benefit of the harvest. And Jesus said, when the servants came to the vineyard, they were mistreated. One was stoned. Another was killed. And so he thought, I'll send other servants. And again, he sent other servants. And likewise, they were mistreated. And lastly, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Surely they will respect my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, Jesus said, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Then Jesus asked the question, when the Lord of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do to these husbandmen? And they all said, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Neither shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And then beginning in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 21, Jesus in these foreboding words says, did you never read in the scriptures that the stone which the builders rejected became The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation that will bring forth the fruits thereof. And whoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. How does God respond to the rejection, to that systemic rejection and that specific rejection of the one that was sent into the world? He predicts the judgment that is coming. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the one who is despised is deity. He's God. He's omnipotent. And the rejection that he has borne, this terrible systemic and specific rejection, will bring his judgment. Surely it will. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. You see, one day every knee is going to bow. Some will bow their knee because of faith, and some will bow their knee out of fear. But every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Deity came into this world and was rejected. But praise God, I read in this same passage that while deity was rejected, deity was also received. We read of the reception of the deity of Jesus in the 12th and 13th verses of this same passage. For we read in verse 12, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, 
even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's a wonderful truth in this passage. Those who receive Jesus receive gifts from Jesus. Jesus, our divine God and Creator, our Savior and our Redeemer, will not be anyone's debtor. When you receive Him, you receive gifts from Him. Have you ever gone to someone's home for an evening or for a meal and you carried with you perhaps a gift to the people who have invited you over? Maybe it's a flower, maybe it's some kind of household decoration. We're Baptists, we don't carry wine. But you carry something to their home to give them when you go to their home. When I look in this passage, I discover that Jesus carries two unmatched gifts for those who receive Him. Incomparable gifts. Inexpressibly wonderful gifts. You see them here? Those who receive Jesus' deity receive a special position. He gives you power to become a son of God. Literally, this passage means He gives you the right to receive the privileges that are only given to family members. Not long ago I shared, but I'm going to share it again today, a blessing that our family enjoyed when we had the privilege of adopting our grandson Chase. Many of you are aware that God called Chase's parents home when he was just 21 months old. He fell on the pavement out here on Keystone. God preserved his life, and we're so thankful for that. We started proceedings toward adoption. We never told him we were working on that. We thought, we'll make this a surprise to him. And so the day came when the proceedings were finalized, and we took him out to dinner. I turned to Romans chapter 9 and talked to him about what the Word of God says about the spirit of adoption, making us sons. And then we explained something that was kind of fun. We said, now Chase... Because you're not just our grandson anymore, but you're now our son by adoption, that means your Aunt Sharon is your sister. (laughs) And your Uncle Caleb and Uncle Dan, they're your brothers. What's really important here for you to understand is your cousin David, he's now your nephew. (laughs) During the time that we were adopting Chase, we learned something about the laws of the state of Indiana we learned that adopted children can never be removed from the will of the parents. They always must and shall receive the benefit of inheritance from the parents who adopt them. The judge asked us specifically, did we know that and were we willing to announce that we would never disinherit Chase? And we said, absolutely. Something else we learned that we didn't know that an adopted child receives a new birth certificate. I didn't know that, but it's true. And even so, folks, do you understand that because in Adam all sinned, all of us have experienced the catastrophe of the fall, you and I, bruised and battered by the fall, and God in His grace has scooped us up off the pavement, if you will. And has through the process of sending Jesus Christ into this world to die for your sins and mine, been doing something that's remarkable when you come to understand it. He's accomplished for you all that's necessary for you to become a son, a daughter of God. 
So what do you do to receive this gift? You receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You understand that He died in your place and that He rose again, and if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you receive the spirit of adoption, you become a son of God. You are given then all of the privileges of an adopted child. You will never be disinherited. You have been given a new birth certificate that says on it that you're born again. In fact, that's the second gift that this passage says we receive when we receive Jesus. We receive Jesus and we receive a special position. We become a son of God. And even as the heirs were sung about this morning, Romans 8, 17 says, we become a joint heir with Jesus. We're seated together with Him in heavenly places. It's mind-boggling to experience and rejoice in all that God has given to those who receive the benefit of adoption that He paid for, that He planned, that He provides to all who will believe. And when we receive and believe in the deed of Jesus, we receive a spiritual regeneration. That's verse 13. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, you're not born into God's family by blood. Verse 13, which are born not of blood. What do we mean here? Well, you're not born into God's family because of your heritage or because of your nationality or because your grandfather was a preacher and your grandmother uh, was a missionary. No, 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 no. You're not born into God's family that way. You're not born into God's family by a natural birth. And you're not born into God's family by the will of the flesh, verse 13 says. In other words, you can't work your way into heaven. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to His mercy He saves us. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not born into God's family by some kind of man-made system. Verse 13 makes that clear, nor of the will of man. In other words, all that the religionist wants to put together will never give you this new birth. You don't inherit it, you don't earn it, you don't find it by following after the wisdom of man. No, those who receive Jesus receive a spiritual regeneration. Those who receive Jesus receive a special position. They are made sons of God. Verse 13, they are born of God. They receive a new birth. And if you're asking the question, well, how do I receive this new birth? You're not the first person to ask that question. There was a rabbi who came to Jesus by night. And he came with complimentary words. Rabbi, we know that thou art sent of God, for no one can do these works except God be with him. Jesus turned to that rabbi and very surprisingly said, you must be born again. And the rabbi said, oh, wait a minute. How can I be born when I'm old? How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus responded, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. There's an earthly birth, a natural birth. There's a spiritual birth, a supernatural birth. There's an earthly birth that brings us into life and the light of this world. There's a spiritual birth that quickens or makes alive the spirit that is dead, for we're born in trespasses and sins. 
We're all born spiritually dead, and we all need a second birth. And when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, when you come to believe that deity descended, condescended, died for your sins, when you accept Him as your personal Savior, the Bible says, you receive the regeneration of the Spirit, a new birth. What a blessing, that new birth, to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So Jesus, gives, gives, Jesus Christ rather gives two gifts to men, doesn't He? He gives us the gift of a position. We are sons of God and the gift of regeneration. We're born again. I was born in a time when dads were not allowed to go into the hospital in the delivery rooms, not even after the delivery for at least a while. So my dad first saw me through the glass of the nursery, at least that's how he told the story. He saw me through the glass of the nursery in the hospital. When he was finally allowed to go in to see my mother, he said, how's little Mark Andrew? And my mother looked at him with a smile and said, you know, they came in to fill in the birth certificate and I decided not to go with Mark Andrew. I know that we decided that that would be his name. (laughs) But she said, I decided to give him your name. So I was named after my father. At the moment of my birth, I was born into privileges that were given to me, bestowed upon me by, by, by the law and by the nature of my birth into my family. But the title on that birth certificate that day gave me a special relationship in a very real way with my earthly father. My name was printed there. And even so, when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, when you accept His deity, when you turn to Him as the only Savior from your sin, believing that He died in your place, you receive a new position. You're a son of God. And you receive regeneration. You are born not of the flesh, not of the will of men, not of blood, but you're born again. Friend, if you're not born again, today you can be. If you've experienced a natural birth and you're here and your spirit is alive to the thoughts that God is impressing upon your heart, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, if you desire to have a spiritual life with God, you can have that life today. And you have it by simply accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And if you ask, why should I do that? Well, He's your Creator. He loves you. He came into this world to die for you. And yes, there are many in the world who will reject Him, but to all who receive Him, to them He'll give the power to become sons of God. This passage speaks of the rejection of the deity of Christ and the reception of the deity of Christ and the revelation of the deity of Christ. Verse 14 is pivotal in this first chapter. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to see clearly what the Spirit of God is doing in verse 14. And to see clearly, you have to tie verse 14 together with verse 1. You ready? Look with me at the three important statements that are being made in John 1 and verse 1. Here they are. Three important statements. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, second statement, and the Word was with God, third statement, and the Word was God. Got it? Three statements. In the beginning was the Word, second, the Word was with God, third, and the Word was God. Then if you look at verse 14, you're going to find three very important statements. He's going to say, and the Word was made flesh, 
And the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. You got those? Here's the way it makes sense. We tie it together from verse to verse. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Verse 1, and the Word was with God. Verse 14, the Word dwelt among us. Verse 1, the Word was God. Verse 14, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What's John saying? He's saying Jesus is God revealed to us in human form. Jesus is deity. He's fully God and fully man. He's beginning with a point in mind. What's the point of the Gospel of John? John 20 and verse 31. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through His name. The Gospel of John is written to tell us that God came to our planet, that Jesus, the eternal Creator God, was born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, died in our place on the cross of Calvary, and yes, 1 Timothy is going to say, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. It's a great mystery. But Jesus would proclaim in John 10 and verse 30, I and my Father are one. And Jesus would say to Philip in John 14 and verse 9, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Why did he come? Verse 18, the only begotten of the Father, he's exegeted. He's declared the Father to us. He's the revelation of God because He is God. And the apostles saw Him, verse 14 says. In verse 14, John says, we beheld, we, plural, beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Peter, James, and John went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the glory of God shining through the flesh of Jesus. He's God. When the disciples were on the sea and it was rolling in the tempest and Jesus spoke, peace, be still, and the sea was silenced, they heard the voice of God proclaiming its power over all of nature. When Jesus said to the one who was palsied, rise, take up your bed and walk, they saw the power of the divine creator healing the one who could not walk. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, the apostles saw the glory of God, and they saw the glory of God in Jesus. Did they believe it, or was it a hoax? Folks, people don't die for a hoax. But when Peter was crucified, he said to his executioners, put me on that cross upside down. I am not worthy to die in the same manner that my Savior died for me. When Paul faced the sword, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. One by one, their lives were taken, but their voices have not been silenced. They saw God. And in the 15th verse, John the Baptist spoke of him. Verse 15, and John bare witness of him, saying, This is he of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist set aside his popularity. 
John the Baptist pointed to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, his head would be taken from him. Why? Because it was all a myth, a hoax? No, because John's voice continues to echo through the ages. He's God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the church has the privilege today of sharing in that message. For verse 16 says, And of his fullness have we all received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. What does the church share? The church shares the message of the grace of God. This passage says, the law came by Moses. The law. Most are aware of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt obey thy parents, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, thou shalt remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, thou shalt not bow down to any idol, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Most are aware of the Ten Commandments, and most are aware that they've broken a few of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. How you doing? Thou shalt not steal. How you doing? The Apostle Paul said, I kept all the commandments until I came to that one that says, Thou shalt not covet. And then I realized, I'm guilty. That's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to say, Guilty, 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 guilty. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the law brings us along to understand that God who is holy and separate from sinners cannot abide any sin to enter into His presence. And so we find ourselves in a terrible dilemma. How can I please God who is altogether pure? Well, I'm not that bad, Pastor. But James says in chapter 2 and verse 10, whoever will not keep the whole law, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. If you've lied once, you're a liar. If you've stolen once, you're a thief. If you've coveted once, you're covetous. And Jesus expanded the thought by saying, if you look to lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Guilty! Guilty. The law came by Moses. But praise God, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. What's the church's commission? Grace, grace, grace is available. Jesus has come, Jesus has come. Deity has descended, deity has been displayed. And the message that the angels will fold their wings when they hear is this message that we declare, saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me. The deity of Jesus is declared in John chapter 1. The deity of Jesus has been declared by the apostles, by John the Baptist, and continues to be declared by the church today. And the question that you have to ask is, do you believe? Now be careful. James chapter 2 says in verse 19, the devils believe and tremble. More than that, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, have you believed and put your trust in Jesus so that you can have everlasting life? Have you accepted the free gift? Acts 16 says in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.